Thank you, Brother Tory. It's an honor to be invited back to the Pleasant View Baptist Church and to see each of you again. And I certainly have wonderful memories of being here before. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to come and share in the service today and your homecoming day and then also the beginning of your revival meeting. And my prayer is that God will be with you during these days and give you wonderful, wonderful days in revival that stir your hearts and refresh you, make it a great time for you. It is good to be here, and I'm glad my wife can be here with me, and uh, we've got some wonderful times together. seemed like last year passed awful quick. I don't know where that year went, but uh, we've been uh, unemployed now for almost a little year and a half, and uh, we're enjoying unemployment. It gets much worse. I'm not sure how we're going to stand it. Sunday before last, I preached uh, the uh, Stokely Chapel Baptist Church in Newport, Tennessee, uh, last Sunday through Wednesday, I spoke at a Bible conference in Ocala, Florida, and here I am today. And so when you move around that much, when you start to get out of bed, you get out slow because you're not sure if you know which room you're in. But uh, you run straight into a wall if you're not careful. But I'm grateful to be back here, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to come. You know, uh, I, I think age is an attitude. And I think it is. And you are talking about all them things a while ago, and I thought, you know, we still do that at our house. I didn't know it changed. But uh, no, it has. But I certainly remember those days. But uh, I've heard people talk about growing old and being bad and all that. I'm enjoying it. I really am. And uh, I think, uh, you know, you can have an attitude about it. Like the two kids both had a glass of milk and they drank about half of it. One said, oh, look, mine's half gone. And so mine's still half full. And that's kind of how you look at it a lot. But we've enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, it's like one man and his wife were sitting out on the front porch rocking. He said, I think I'll go and get some ice cream. You want some? She said, yeah, and put syrup on mine, chocolate syrup. He said, all right. So he was gone and gone and gone, and she began to think, where in the world is he? A little while he came back there with two plates with two fried eggs and two strips of bacon on each plate. Handed one to her, and she said, I told you I wanted sausage. <laughs> That'll slip up on you after a while, you know. I keep God busy at our house helping me find stuff. You know, I know it's in the house. I just had it five minutes ago, but I can't find it now. Y'all ever do that? Isn't God good just for such insignificant things? I don't know if he moves it or not. I don't know about that, but I think I look, then look back, and there it is. I say, Lord, I know where you know where it is. I don't. Please help me see it. And, uh, you know, yesterday I went out to the car uh, to get something and uh, locked myself out in the garage. I forgot to take my key with me. Didn't even know why he locked the door. Dorcas said, every time you go out the door, you lock it. Well, if anybody's standing in my house, I don't want to make a lot of noise when they get in. I don't want to just turn around and see them standing there. But she came to the door dying laughing. I called her on the phone. I said, uh, would you mind coming locking this door so I can get back in the house? And she came back just dying laughing. Well, it's wonderful, and uh, we're enjoying it. And I'm still looking for Jesus to come. Uh, if I die, it'll be accidental death. I don't mean for it to happen. I promise you that. I'm really hoping to live to the rapture. I really am. I think I've got good reason to hope that, not just because the Bible tells us that, but because of everything that's going on right in front of our eyes. I don't believe the church would go through any of the seven-year tribulation period. However, the tribulation is not, uh, not coming on like a light switch. It's got to be set up. You're watching it. You're watching it being set up right now. The, the grounds are getting ready to put the thing in gear. So I believe we have a whole lot of good reasons to believe we may not have to go through the cemetery. Now, I may. Church gave Dorcas and I a plot. 
few uh, months back, and I stood out there and looked at that thing, and I said, you know, I'm grateful for their kindness, but I don't want to use this thing, man. I don't see no, no joy at all in holding the ground. I'd rather see a, uh, an opening in the sky than a hole in the ground. But uh, I'm glad to be here. Thank you, Brother Tory, for letting me come. It's good to see you and Miss Dawn and the kids. My uh, Dyson and Carla had grown up. Hard to believe there's, I saw Dyson come out across the parking lot when he first got here. I looked and I said, yeah, I believe that is him. And it was. And how quickly the kids do grow up. But uh, we had such wonderful years together when Tori and Dawn were with us at Kerwin. And they were not only good staff members, but they were good friends. And I'm not just saying this because I'm here, but out of all those 50 years I served at Kerwin, I really believe I enjoyed the years that Tori and Dawn were with us more than any of the rest of them. We just had a wonderful time together, and I've missed them. And, of course, I had to retire for health reasons. Uh, they were sick of me. And, uh, but uh, as Tori said a while ago, they're doing good, but the Daniel's doing a great job. Please remember him and the church in prayer. It's been as smooth a transition as I believe I've ever heard of. If uh, I've thought of two, maybe three families that have left our church in the past three years and had about a two-and-a-half-year process of it, and I kind of think they probably would have left anyway. I don't really know you could say they left because of the transition. I doubt it. And uh, the church is strong. Our people are just following our pastor. And we're grateful to God for that. We give God the glory. And uh, someone asked me, why did you retire? I said, I want to bury me and the church same year. Uh, I want their church to be alive and well with a younger pastor with many more years of great opportunities, and we're grateful for that. Thank you, Brother Tory, for asking me to come, sharing your special day, and begin the revival meeting. I pray every service will be blessed of God, and I trust you'll make up your mind right now. I'm going to come every service. Now, if something happens and you can't come, that's one thing. But if you wait till 6 o'clock and decide, you ain't coming. So you need to make up your mind right now. I'm coming every night. And then do your very best to be here, and you'll enjoy the service. Turn with me in your Bible, please, to the book of Romans, chapter 6 and verse 23. I uh, prepared another sermon for today. And uh, this morning when I got up and I went up to McDonald's to get our breakfast, we have stock in that place, and... Uh, Went up to get our breakfast. While I was driving up and back, the Spirit of God began to speak to my heart about going a different direction. And so I'm doing that because I believe God led me to change the direction. And uh, I hope this morning that we'll have the Spirit of God's presence. Listen carefully. I think one of the saddest things could ever happen to any man, a woman, a boy, a girl is to live thinking you're saved, have some kind of false hope, die and miss heaven and go to hell through the church house. I think that would be one of the saddest things could ever happen to anybody. And it has happened. It probably happened today somewhere on this globe that somebody that was in a church attended services and yet never did really get born again. I know what that's about. I made profession and joined the church when I was 13. They carried me to the river and got me wet. But nobody to this day ever checked to see if I saved. And I wasn't. And I spent from 13 to 19 in absolute frustration and confusion. I knew what was right, but I didn't have, have a heart to do it. I knew what was wrong, but I wanted to do it anyway. I went to church for one reason. Dad said, you live here, eat here, sleep here, you go to church. That's why I went. And I'm glad I had a daddy like that. But I had no change in my life. When I turned around 13, 14, my life turned 
And man, I went against everything I'd been taught. I went down the wrong direction and things I don't even want to remember myself, much less talk about. But there was no evidence whatsoever that I'd ever known God. I'd made so many rededications. I wore my dedicator out near it, dedicating my life, and it didn't do one bit of good. Not until 1956, on a Wednesday night, when God saved me by His marvelous grace. And I know when it happened, or why it happened, and I know why it didn't happen before, and we'll talk about that a little bit today. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, let's pray and then read the Scriptures. Father, I'm grateful that you've allowed me to be here again today to stand alongside Pastor Tory, and to be a guest in this service, to be a contribution not only to homecoming day, but to the revival meeting. I pray the Spirit of God will have liberty in this service today. I pray you'll have liberty to work in and on every heart and every life in this auditorium. I pray you'll have liberty to use me and help me to think clear, help bring to my mind the things I should say, help me to not waste time by saying things I shouldn't, and I pray for your anointing and your leading. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. A very simple and yet profound verse, one that most of you know. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What a, what a statement and what is packed into that simple statement. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I want to talk about those three things this morning for a little bit. Let's talk first about the wages of sin. The wages, payday. All of us that have jobs, we work there not because we love the place so good and we just can't wait to get to work, but we have to have income. We work there for the payday. The wages that come for the hours that we put in there. There are many today live in a world of sin. They don't realize they're already separated from God. They don't realize they're already living in a state of death. You know, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. The payday of sin is death. What is death? We know death when someone dear to us passes away. Death is separation. Physical death is the separation of the soul and the spirit from God. Excuse me, from the body. Physical death is separation of the soul and spirit from the body. Spiritual death is the separation of the soul and spirit from God. And that's why the Bible said the wages of sin is death. The payday of sin and all of its consequences is to separate the sinner from God, all that he is, all that he has, living in a total separation of Almighty God. In Isaiah chapter 53, he says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of of us all. All of us had made that turn at some point in time in life. Some of you may still be in that state this morning. But all of us have taken that turn that's taken us away from God and away from right and away from all that's moral and clean and good. And we reap the payday of that. We reap it by the, the nerves, by the worries, the fears. The hospitals, many are there today because of sins they've committed and the, the repercussions that are unlimited. The wage of sin still has a payday. We find in the book of Matthew, if you'll turn over there to chapter 7, if you'd like to read the text, in chapter 7 we see those that are religious and yet still lost. It says in verse 21 of chapter 7, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Now notice the next two verses carefully. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? 
And if you'll notice the next verse, Jesus did not contradict that. He didn't, he didn't call them a liar. It wasn't true. It's just in verse 23. Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me that work iniquity. And so even though they did all these great works, God never said that they didn't do that. And yet after doing all those great things, even to the raising of the dead, he said, I'm sorry, I never knew you. Do you realize during the tribulation period, the devil, the Antichrist, will raise dead people from the dead? Do you realize that? So if we raise somebody from the dead today, that'd be kind of outstanding. But that's not a proof of anything, really. We come over to the Revelation in chapter uh, 20. And we begin reading in verse 11. We're looking at the great white throne judgment. There are two judgments that which everybody will stand one day and give an account of their life. The great white throne judgment is the judgment of those who live and die without God. And they, it's an unsaved judgment. Those that go there are not determined where they're going by being there. They're already going to hell or they wouldn't be there. But the great white throne judgment is a judgment to determine of what degree their torment will be in hell. The other judgment is the judgment seat of Christ. Everyone who stands there is already on their way to heaven. It's not a determination of where they're going. It's a recognition of the rewarding they'll have for eternity for their service and their life for Christ. So back to the text with the great white throne judgment. And him that sat on the throne whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead. Now we just got through talking about the dead. Those who are separated from God. Those who are separated from his salvation. Those who are separated from his love and compassion and all that God is. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God and the books were opened. And another, open, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. There's going to be two different areas of judgment at the great white throne judgment. One, the books are open. This is from the beginning of life to the ending of life. Everything a person did, everything a person said, it's all recorded, all written down there. One's life at that judgment will condemn them to an eternity without God in the place called hell. The very life they've lived will condemn them there. But the book is there, the book of life. Those who are going to heaven are saved by the good grace of God. Their names are in that book. By the absence of the name being in the book, it's a testimony at the judgment. They're condemned by their own life, condemned by the fact that their name is not in the Lamb's book of life. When the Bible said the wage of sin is death, it's a very serious thought. We're separated from God and all that God has and all that God is. Do you realize if, if anybody's kept out of heaven, it'll be Jesus Christ that keeps them out? You realize that? He said, I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. A door has two, at least two uh, purposes. Those doors in the back, I came into this building through the door. That door provided an access for my wife and I to come into this building. But I suppose later tonight or sometime those doors will be locked. And that means that door will prevent us from coming into this building. Those who reject the door of opportunity will have the door shut whenever they try to face God and have a hope of going to heaven. It's a horrible, terrible thing to think about living and dying without God. If just one lost sinner could make their way somehow into heaven, then they'd turn heaven into exactly what sin in the garden turned this world into. No, not one unsaved person, not one, will ever enter the city of God, the door. He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, 
I'm the door. If you ever get to heaven, you're going to come through me. If you don't come through me, then my very presence will shut you out and prevent you ever going to heaven. Did you ever think about that? If you're kept out of heaven, it'll be Jesus Christ who keeps you out and forbids you to enter the city of God and contaminate it, just as so many others have. I can't think of anything more horrible than that. I was sitting on my couch some, uh, I guess it's been a year ago or more maybe now, I was watching the news, and at that time, there was a man that had been convicted of crimes, and uh, they gave him three life sentences with no hope of parole ever. And I sat there and thought, you know, bless that man's heart. He shouldn't have done what he did, but can you just try to imagine going in shackles and your hands cuffed behind you and being put in a cell and the door slammed, and it doesn't matter if you live to be 110 years old. You're never coming out of here. You're going to live and die in that jail. I thought about the back several years ago when that flooding came into the mine. I think it was Pennsylvania. And there was a wall caved in, and all the water behind that came in where miners were working. Many lost their lives there. A few survived it. And I've thought about how the water kept getting higher and higher. I thought those lights they have on their helmet is not going to burn forever. How long did they burn? Were they even burning at all? And the top of their head against the bottom of the rock and water up around their neck in pitch dark. I, I sat there on my couch. I thought, it's enough to drive you mad to think about that. Much less being put in a, in a place like that. And the Holy Ghost said to me, son, if you think put, being put in prison forever is bad, if you think being in a mine in that kind of a terrible state is bad, what do you think it's like to go to hell when you're never coming out? You don't even have the hope of dying so you can get out of hell. I'm telling you this morning, individuals in church, if you don't know that you know that you know 110%, you're born again. The most dumb thing you can do is walk out of this building and reject Jesus Christ and take another step toward hell. The worst thing you could ever do is take a step like that. I see the wages of sin. I see, second, the Savior's gift. said, for the wages of sin is death, but... Boy, I'm glad I see the word but come in there once in a while in the Bible. That's a conjunction means here we are at this. However, it doesn't stay that way, but we've got something else over here. I'm glad God butts in, aren't you? And it says, but the gift of God is eternal life. Glory to God. The gift of God. I never worked for it, never paid one dime for it. I just said, Lord, I want to be saving. God handed me eternal life. Not temporary life, not until I make a mistake, not until I fail to do what's good, not if I don't endure everything that comes in life, but God gave me eternal life, sealed me by His Holy Ghost, wrote my name in His book, stuck me in His hand, checks every once in a while and says, How you doing, Joe? I'm good, God. I'm right here in the palm of His hand. Well, I'm so saved, it's pitiful. Brother, I heard a preacher say one time, I could swing across hell on a rotten corn stalk and spit the devil's eyes and went across there. Well, that may be a little bit of an extreme statement, but let me tell you something. If you're really saved, you're really saved. You're saved from everything. While we go through a little bit on this earth, but it's temporary, we're going on to something better. John 3, 16, boy, the greatest word in the Bible is so. For God so loved the world, Who's that world? That bunch of sinners we just got through talking about. And every one of us either are or were in that state. Those separated from God. And God so loved that bunch that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever, thank God that word's in there. 
I've heard people talk about predestination and election and all that kind of stuff. I don't know all about a whole lot of things. I, I don't know much about God. What little I know astounds me. But I know one thing. When I was a young convert, I hadn't been saved very long. And at Woodland Baptist Church, you know, there were some people there were hyper-Calvinists. The church wasn't, but some of the members were. You probably got some here, Brother Tory. I don't know. But anyway, I'd get with this crowd. They were the whosoever wheel crowd. Man, I didn't want to go so winning. Went everybody to Jesus, I could. Next week, I'd go out and eat with the hyper-Calvinist crowd. Of course, I didn't even know that's what they were. Boy, I get to listen to that sovereignty of God. I said, man, that's right, that's right. Yeah, God's sovereign. He knew anything. I turn into hyper-Calvinist. Next week, I get with the whosoever wheel crowd. Next week, I'm the hyper-Calvinist crowd. I'm bounced back and forth like a rubber ball. I said, man, I've got to decide where I am. And just a young convert, I got my Bible out, opened it to John 3, 16, laid my hand on the verse, got on my knees and said, God, I don't know a whole lot about you. And I sure don't know nothing about sovereignty. And I don't know nothing about election. But I know what that word says. And I'm going to tell everybody they can get saved if they want to. And if I get somebody saved that wasn't predestinated, I don't believe you'd hold that against me. I ain't never had a problem with it since then. You don't need to worry about all that God's doing. What we need to worry about is what we're doing. The choice is ours. It's not somebody else's. So it says that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3, 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot, are you listening? He cannot. It doesn't say he may not. It said he cannot see the kingdom of God. God is saying you're not getting in sight of it, much less going there if you've never been born again. First Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us. Word, thank God for that. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You have two choices this morning, church. You have the choice of death, which is separation from God. You have the choice of life, which is be connected to God and all that God is. The choice is ours. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> There's no in-between. We're not half in, half out. They're either we have chosen to accept Christ or we have refused and rejected Jesus Christ as our Savior. We're either in, in death or life, no in-between. The choice of choosing whether we're saved or not is our choice. The consequences of our choice is God's choice. I can choose to be saved or I chose for a long time not to be saved. Had I died when I was unsaved, I had no choice about my future. The consequences is God's. Now that I have received Christ as my Savior, by the same token, I'm not earning heaven. I'm not working for heaven. I'm going to go to heaven by the good grace of God. Again, the consequences up to the Lord Himself. John 5 and verse 40, And ye will not come to me that you might have life. The Scripture did not say you cannot come. It's, it's a matter of will. It's a matter of choices. If you're in this building this morning, you're not really saved. You're not really saved because you have chosen not to be really saved. You've chosen your sin. You've chosen something in life. I can remember when God began to work with my heart about being saved. I thought I was having a good time. I was trying real hard to have a good time. And I, I'd seen some Baptists that looked to me like, you know, they're just a, a leftover from last week or whatever. I mean, they just were pitiful. One man got up and said, I've been away 9 to 40 years. I thought, yep, sure have. And, uh, and I looked at that crowd and I thought they looked like they'd been eating persimmon juice and drinking, eating oatmeal through a gas pipe. I mean, they were pathetic. And I thought, Lord, I want to go to heaven when I die, but I don't believe I can handle that trip because of what I was seeing in some church members. 
And I thought, man, I, I want to enjoy life. I wasn't enjoying life. I was miserable, but I didn't have enough sense to realize it. But thank God when I found Jesus Christ as my Savior, I found life and that more abundant. I'm having more fun doing what's right than I ever did doing what was wrong. I, if I could get lost again, and who'd want to? But if I could get lost again, I wouldn't want to go back there for not one day. I've said many times, I'll take the worst day of the Christian life to the best day of the unsaved life. No comparison to that whatsoever. So it's not that you can't be saved, but choose not to. It's a matter of the wills. He said, I've come that you might have life. The grace of God is sufficient to all. I want to give you the third thing quickly. And we've seen that, that uh, the ways of sin, we've seen Savior's gift. Thirdly, let's see the sinner's hope. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one way to get to heaven. And by the way, it's not a Baptist way. I've had people tell me we go out and visit folks and, and maybe they were uh, uh, some sort of a denomination that didn't teach salvation by grace. And you're trying to tell them how to be saved. And, how, and they said, you just think you Baptists the only ones going to heaven. I said, oh, no, ma'am, I don't even think we're all going. You don't go to heaven because of a Baptist stamp on you. Heard about one guy who went to heaven. Of course, who dreams up all this stuff? I don't know. But said he went to heaven. The angel was showing him around. And he came by a door, and the angel said, Shh, be real quiet. Oh, thank you. Is that white lightning? Good. That's what I Ah, good. Thank you. And uh, he was tiptoeing down the way, and uh, they got by, and they said to the angel, what's that about? And the angel said, there's a bunch of Baptists in that room back there, and they think the old one's up here, so they don't nobody know anybody else up here. Well, I'm glad that's not true. I heard, read a story of uh, John Wesley, and it said he dreamed before he died. He dreamed he died and went to heaven. And when he got there, Peter met him. I don't know how Peter got in charge of that, but they met him. <clears throat> and he said, uh, welcome home, John. And he said, any Methodists in there? And Peter said, no. He said, no Methodists? No. He said, what about Baptists? No, no Baptists either. We got any Presbyterian people in there? He said, no. He said, well, if there's no Methodist, Baptist, and Presbyterians, I don't want to go either. He turned to walk away and thought, well, there's nowhere else to go but to hell. I don't want to go there. And he turned around and went back in his dream and said, well, if you don't have Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterians, who's in there? And Peter said, just Christians. Just Christians. We're going to drop our tags down here somewhere. I'm an independent, I dot and T crossing, independent Baptist church member. I intend to live that way and die that way. Don't ever intend to be anything else. But I don't expect that to take me one inch toward heaven. That's my choice of church that I associate with and attend while I'm here on this earth. If you think for one minute, thank God we had people baptized this morning. Your pastor would say this as quick as I would. If any one of you got baptized, think that water will help you one bit. You're mistaken. That's something you do in obedience because you're saved. You already know that. I don't have a thing to do with getting to heaven. You can write your name on the church book. and you, you, The ink you wrote on it is not sufficient to take you to heaven. There's only one way to go to heaven, and Jesus said, I'm it. You know, we talk about Thomas sometimes, and we kind of criticize and say Thomas was a doubter. I don't know that he's as much a doubter as he was a realist. He just faced life real and reality. And Jesus just got through telling him in John 14 about this beautiful heaven and all these mansions are up there. By the way, he said there's up there when he was down here. I've heard people arguing about whether there's mansions in heaven or not. That's stupid. Can Jesus lie? No, he cannot. He not only don't lie, he can't lie. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, standing on this earth before he went to the cross. 
And he said, I'm going up there and fix a place for y'all. Now that's hillbilly term, but we understand that. I'm going up there and fix a place for y'all. When I get it done, I'm going to come back and get you. So where I am, there you can be also. Now, a lot of people, well, that sounds great, but Thomas spoke up. Only one in the crowd spoke up and said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. We don't know the way. Boy, that's an honest conclusion, isn't it? We don't know how to get to this place. How are we going to get there? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And listen, no man comes to the Father but by me. Isn't it amazing how confusing human beings have made religion? Quit something, start something, do this, don't do that. And we got all, it's the awfulest mess you've ever seen. People doing dumb and crazy things. People think they're going to kill a bunch of people and, and uh, go have a whole bunch of virgins waiting on them and whatever. I've never seen such a mess in my life. When you just strip it all away, just flush the whole business, it's Jesus and Jesus only. You come to him, you go into heaven. You reject him, you're going to hell. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our requirement is to receive him as our personal Savior. And there's two things God requires of us in order to be saved. I want you to listen real carefully to this because I mentioned in the beginning, I want to take up where I left off there. The Bible says in Acts chapter 20, verse 21, testifying both to the Jews, also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 16 and 20, and that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. There are two things that one must do in order to receive the salvation God has provided. Everything needed to be saved to take a sinner from earth to heaven has been done and provided by God through Jesus Christ our Savior. Now man has two things he must do. And I've said it many times, I don't mean to be critical if it rings a bell wrong, about believing on the Lord. Just believe on the Lord. Well, let me tell you something. The demons believe. The Bible said the demons believe and tremble. It's been a long time since I saw Baptists trembling at his name. More to it than just believing, church. Faith in what God has done on your part and mine is essential. But there's something else must be there, and that's repentance. The turning, the repenting, the turning around. That's what's missing in modern-day Christianity, so-called. I made a profession when I was 13 years old. I did nothing about repentance. I did nothing. And from 13 to 19, confused as a termite in a yo-yo. I didn't know which way it was up, down, or around. And I'd go to the altar and rededicate, recap, and have a blowout before I could get home. Didn't nothing working out. 1956, God gave me such a jerk toward heaven. I've been living out of joint with this world ever since. And for a while I thought, what happened? Why am I, do, I, do I know I'm saved now? My life has been changed. I mean, the day after I got saved on Wednesday night about 9 o'clock, the next day at school I went there between classes went to the restroom. Some guys sitting in the bathroom and cussing and swearing and using God's name in vain. And it hurt me. It just cut to hear that. And I thought, why do I have to do that? I walked down the hall to my next class and it dawned on me yesterday. I was over there doing the same thing yesterday. Now, not only am I not doing it, it hurts me to hear them doing it. And I'm thinking, something is going on inside. And I begin to see the change coming. Now, listen to me carefully. This may help somebody here this morning. After I knew I was saved, I couldn't understand why that all that back yonder didn't work. Listen to me. The night I got saved, I did not believe anything anymore than I did before I got saved. There never was a time in my life I questioned this is God's 
holy word. Never been attacked. Never was a time I didn't believe there's a heaven and there was a hell. Never been a time in my life that I did not believe Jesus Christ was the virgin-born Son of God. And he lived in perfection, died as a substitute on your part and mine, buried and God raised him third day. And he went back to heaven. Never been a time I didn't believe that. Never been a time in my life raised in a godly, Christ-honoring home that my faith and my belief was all right, but my life was all wrong. That night, I, I went to that altar. I got on my face. I said, God, have mercy on me as a sinner. I am a low-down hypocrite. I'm living a double life, one thing at church and one thing around mom and dad and something else everywhere else. I said, God, I'm going to hell and I can't stop it. I've tried to be a Christian and I can't. I said, is there anything in the world you could do for a sinner like me? And God's been showing me ever since just what he could do for sinners. And later I was reading from the book of Acts. I was troubled with this. I thought, man, I know I'm right, but I don't believe any more now than I did then. What's made the difference? One day I was reading the book, reading through the New Testament. I got through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John is in the book of Acts. And on the day of Pentecost, when Peter was preaching, and they interrupted him and said, Men and brethren, what must we do? First word out of his mouth is repent. Man, it didn't come off the Bible, but it looked to me like it did. Man, it jumped right in my face. The Holy Ghost said, that's it right there, son. That's why you're saved now, and that's why you wasn't saved before. Man, I, I mean, I watch people all the time at Kerwin, other places. They make profession. They put the name on the book. They got wet. They tried, oh, yeah, I believe I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I want to ask you a question. When did your life change? When did your life change? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, period. When did that happen to you? When did your heart change? And then your, your life began to change as a result of that. Change don't start on the outside and come in. This kind of change I'm talking about starts in the heart and starts working out. Things I used to think I'd never give up. I gladly gave them up and wanted to do it. Things I thought I'd never want to do. Man, it's in my heart. I couldn't wait to do it. And the change for a child of God is on the inside. And the inside starts showing up on the outside. I think we've got four more unsaved church members than we think we have. We think they're backslid. I don't think many have ever upslid. They've done all the believing, but there's never been a day of repentance. I ask you this, this morning if you'll think about that and make sure that you know for sure that you've been saved by the good grace of God. For the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This morning, if God has spoken to you while I've been preaching, first thing's going to hit you just in, just in a matter of moments. The devil say, oh man, you're fine, you're great. Man, don't let the preacher upset you. And besides, we've got dinner outside. Let's, let's, let's do this some other time. Don't worry about that. The Bible said, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. He that being often reproved and hardened his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, that without remedy. Every time an individual hears the voice of God, speak to them and knock on their heart's door and caution them and tell them, you're not right, you need to get it right, and you turn it away. You make your heart a little harder and a little harder every time. There can come a day that God will say to an individual just like he did Ephraim. He said, Ephraim is joined to his idols. Let him alone. How horrible for God to tell the Holy Ghost to let him alone. Let her alone. They don't want to be saved. They don't want to live in their sin. They don't want me. Let them alone. Many years ago, I was in rescue mission work for about four years under my pastor Zeno Gross on Trade Street. 
it's now the Winston-Salem Rescue Mission. And uh, I was outside passing out tracts, inviting people in. My wife was inside. She didn't have rheumatoid arthritis then. Playing the piano, and we're, and we're getting ready for the service. Man came up the street, and I spoke to him and offered him a tract, invited him into the service. He said, Preacher, thank you. I know what you're trying to do, but there's no need in me coming in. I said, what do you mean there's no need? He said, God has given up on me. I'm going to hell, and there's nothing can be done about it. I said, oh, surely not. And he told me this story, how God had dealt with him and dealt with him and dealt with him, and he kept rejecting, rejecting, rejecting. And on a Wednesday night, he went to a church, and God deeply convicted him, and he said, I got up and walked out of the building, and on the step, on as I was walking down the steps, I said, God, leave me alone. If you'll leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. He said, God left me alone. He said, that's been a long time ago. From that day to this day, I've never had one ounce of desire to be saved, and I don't have it now. God has given me up. Just as cold as that, turned around and walked up the street. I kind of have a tendency to believe that. I've had people talk to me with tears rolling down their face. I believe God's given up on me. No, he didn't give up on you. He wouldn't be weeping if he had. Uh, that's because he hasn't given up on you. But I'm telling you, it's a serious thing to sit in a church house like this. Like I said a while ago, I didn't even plan to preach this message. I had no idea who would be here today, but God knew before we ever got up here who would be in this service today. And it would be my guess because of this that sitting somewhere right here in this building, unsaved people that may be professing as saved, may be identifying as saved, but down in your heart you know it's just like it's always been. Just like it's always been. There's never been a change. There's never been a conversion. I believe with all my heart that if you ever come head on with the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be different. Everybody else has been. And I made my dedications and my recaps and my blowouts and everybody thought I'm a fine Christian. My dad and mom were as faithful to the church as a piano and the church pew was. I was president of the teenage class and I'm not proud of this. But I was cussing and swearing and drinking and living like the devil on Saturday night and reading the Bible and leading in prayer in the Sunday school class on Sunday morning. I know what it's like to be there. I'm ashamed of it. But I'm telling you, I know what that world is about. It's all face. It's all fake. It's all on the surface. Inside, there's an emptiness. There's a loneliness. There's a weariness. There's a knowing I'm not right. Something is missing. But I'm telling you this morning, if that's where you are, the missing is the Holy Ghost of God. And when you truly repent, and truly receive Christ by faith, God puts His Spirit into your body. Now, when His Spirit comes into your body and sets up housekeeping, honey, there's going to be some changes at the house. There's going to be some things thrown out and some things put in, not because you have to or somebody made you do it, because that's your personal choice. It wasn't a week after I was saved. I'm just, I say this to the glory of God, not to brag on me. But I had a bunch of stuff that I shouldn't have had, and uh, I began to think about that. I, Mom and Dad wasn't at home. They didn't know I had it. I went out in the backyard. Everybody had one of them big old 55-gallon drums back then. And I got a fire going in that thing. I carried all my junk and trash out there and dumped it piece by piece in the fire so be sure everything would burn. And the devil said, oh, oh Joe, said, don't throw it all. I keep some, don't, don't, don't throw that. No, you need it. I said, shut up, devil. And I just threw every bit in it. And man, watched every bit of it burn, walked away with a piece of God in my heart. Now, who made me do that? My preacher didn't even know I had it. My mother and dad didn't know anything about it. Uh, my girlfriend didn't even know about it. And hardly anybody did, but I knew it, and the Holy Ghost knew it. And he made me miserable about that till I took care of it. If you've been saved by the good grace of God, you can't help but change. You can't help but change. None of us are perfect. We're not talking about that. We're just talking about different. When did God change you? Listen, 
for the wage of sin is death. You don't want that, do you? Wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. How do you get that? Through Jesus Christ. God says, if you'll take my son, I'll take you. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment this morning? I wonder how many in this auditorium today could say and be honest before God, honest in your heart. I know that I'm saved.